I do have an accent, but it's not that one. Sorry. <laughs> so bear with me. You know, hear a little bit of a southern accent, and some of my friends were just reminding me, you talk really fast, so get your fast ears on, okay? <laughs> but today we are um, starting a new series, Crowd Control. And for those of you who don't know me, I am Stacy. I am um, Pastor Derek's wife. And he is down in Virginia. He's speaking at a church down there. So um, I'm holding down the fort and have the privilege of starting, kicking off this, this new series, Crowd Control, Revelations on the Power of a Crowd, um, as you saw in the clip. And you, you also saw in the clip, the Hebrews 12.1 is the series text. Um, but we have a crowd of witnesses that are cheering us on as a body of believers here on earth. Um, and there is, as we have seen probably this last week in Baltimore, um, there is a dynamic in the power of a crowd, and that's powerful. It can be used for good, and it can be used for bad. And, um, you know, we see the riots that are used for the bad part, but we also see, did, did you see the picture where there were um, citizens that said they were going to take back their city, and they were standing in a line protecting the police? Did you see that? So that's power of a crowd for the good. We also know for those sports fans, the home court advantage, you know, there's power in the crowd. Um, so, but for Christ followers, there, there's power in a crowd for us. And this is what this series is all about, is crowd control. Um, we, we're going to take a, a concept from each of, the, um, each of these weeks in the series about a concept from Hebrews 12, um, about this cloud of witnesses, crowd in the cloud of witnesses, where we can get inspiration and instruction so that we can walk at, in wisdom of the word, not in wisdom of the world. So um, the concept that we're going to start off today with is looking at how Jesus drew a crowd. Um, there, I'm going to read you several scriptures that are not in your um, outline, but Mark 6:34. if you read any of the Gospels, you're going to see that everywhere Jesus went, there was a crowd following him. They loved him. Um, Mark 6:34 says, Jesus saw a large crowd and called them to him. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Luke 8:40. the crowd welcomed him. They were all expecting him. Luke 9, 37, a large crowd met him. Luke eleven twenty seven, a woman was calling out in the crowd, blessed is the woman who gave birth to you. They were, so, they were thankful for Mary for giving birth to him because they loved him. Um, Luke 19, 37, the crowd praised God for all the miracles that he had done. So these are just some examples of the people's perception of Jesus leading up to his, the, the Passion Week, up to his um, betrayal and murder plot. And as his influence grew, we know that it went from this cheering fan club to a very fierce mob who totally turned on him. Um, but today, we're going to focus on not necessarily the persecution of the crowd, but we're going to focus on the season of favor that we believe that the church is in in America right now. It's a small window of favor that we think... Um, America, really, we as Christians, we need to leverage all the influence that we have to draw people into the crowd of believers so that when the different times come, they know they're equipped and they're ready to handle what's going to come. So it is, in order for us to leverage that influence, it's imperative that we look at Jesus' life so that we can apply what some of his personality traits to our life so that we can also attract a crowd. So like I mentioned, prior to Jesus' betrayal, he was a rock star. So before people flogged him, people actually flocked to him. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so there are many reasons why that we're going to look at today, why people were so drawn to him so that we can apply in our life and maintain crowd control in our lives and the life of the church. So he, Jesus shone his light for everyone. Um, text, in your series, I mean your um, Worship guide there, Matthew 5, 14 through 16, 
says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put a bowl over it. No, instead they place it on a lampstand so that everyone in the house can see. And it says, it goes on to say, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You're going to hear me say that often, that they may see our good deeds and so that they can praise our Father in heaven. So keep that in mind. So what kind of light are we putting out there? Maybe as individuals, as the church, we're going to talk about those today. And today's message is entitled Emojis of the Church. Now, how many of you know what an emoji is? Okay, if I said an emoticon, does that help everybody, anybody else? Okay, for those of you who don't know, it's the little smiley faces or all kinds of faces and little pictures that you can send when you're texting people. Okay. Oh, somebody's like, oh, okay. I gotcha. All right. So we, we use those all the time in my family. Um, it, we could just send one little face back to each other or, or like five faces at the same one, just like, you know. So um, <clears throat> we're going to use some emojis today. So those of you who don't know what emojis are, you're about to be well informed. All right. So first, the emojis that we're going to talk about is um, the kinds of light that we might be putting out as a body of believers. So are we a dance club light? Those are the little emojis. Okay, a dance club light might be just flickering on and off, flickering without focus, in and out, in and out. That's not the light we want to be showing. Are we a headlight shining in people's eyes? Okay, that might be blinding somebody with the truth. Like, you know, people beating somebody over the head with a Bible saying, you're a sinner. Well, that's really going to win them. What? What? So we don't want to be the, the headlight shining in someone's eyes. Are we a flashlight in the dark? How many of you have ever done that little thing where you turn off the light and you put the flashlight right here and it, all it shows is like the, it looks creepy? And you're like, Wah. You know, these are the kind of people that want to tell everybody about, there's demons and, you know, the devil's out to get you. Okay, well, that's not what we want to do either. Or are we a lighthouse? Now, there was no emoji for a lighthouse, so that's what you do. You make them up. <laughs> a light and a house. Lighthouse. All right? Um, so these are the kind of people that we want to be. We want to be the lighthouse kind of Christians because it calls people to safety. People from all over can see it, calls them to safety, and then we can point them to God. Just like that verse said, let them see our good works, our good deeds, so that then we can point them and praise the Father in heaven. So Jesus was the light of the world, and he drew people to himself. He did not polarize or criticize the disconnected or the downtrodden or really, honestly, the difficult people. He drew them to himself. But sometimes um, we're called to draw people to us as well. Um, but sometimes I think we're completely unaware of how we come across. Now, how many of you have ever seen some people that are totally unaware of their surroundings? Okay, a few of you. That means probably you are one of those people. No. Um, but I think two of the, the places that I have seen this the most where people are completely unaware of their surroundings is the grocery store and the airport. And I have examples. So like at the grocery store, when I'm at the grocery store, I'm usually on a mission and I am, I don't like just, you know, oh, la -dee -da. but a lot of people apparently do have plenty of time to go and shop. I'm like in and out, get, you get, get my stuff, you know. So, but you're coming around the corner and somebody's looking at all the tuna and they're just standing there with their little basket and, you know, there's three diamonds and there's bumblebee and star kissed and goodness, there's solid white and chunk light and solid, and there's oil and water and, and they're standing there just forever, and you're getting like two feet from them, and all of a sudden they choose their one, they step right out in the middle to put it in their basket, and you bump into them because they were unaware that you were coming. They, then they look at you like you're the one that's unaware. I was like, oh, sorry, get out of my way. 
I don't do that because I am a lighthouse. Um, <clears throat> but the other time is like in the airports. Have you ever seen when they're like standing in the middle of the aisle and like all these people, a plane, five planes have just deplaned and all these people, crowds and throngs are going through and somebody's just standing there looking in the middle. And then they start to walk off and they go like this. And like everybody just tramples over them and they look like they're irritated with somebody else. But I have a funny story that um, just recently I was flying and we were flying on JetBlue, which is like awesome, um, because each, each seat has its own little TV screen right in front of you. And so um, I'm sitting in the middle, Derek's sitting over here, he likes to sit on the aisle because, you know, so he can spread out. Um, and there was this lady, this small little lady sitting on, next to the window. And um, so on the, when I'm sitting just in the middle watching my TV, and you know, like that has on the armrest, it has the little controls. So you have like channel controls and volume and then brightness level and all that stuff. So this lady, apparently she thought I was going to try to, you know, cheat off her journal that she was writing on because she was like hovering over like this and didn't want me to see anything. So, but apparently she realized that I was not really interested in her journal. Um, and so she started relaxing a little bit. So she, she was sitting back. And all of a sudden, I'm just minding my own business, Derek's sleeping, minding my own business, watching my little TV, and all of a sudden, the channels just start changing, just like continually, like 15 times, and I'm going, I look over at Derek's channel, and his is, you know, he's sleeping, he's just nothing, and then I look over at hers, and hers is just still on the, you know, more leg room, that little original screen, and mine are still just changing, and all of a sudden, I'm like, what in the world? And I look down, and her elbow is on my controls, totally changing my channels. And so I was laughing, and I wanted to, like, elbow my husband and go, look at this, this is hysterical. She's completely unaware. So, um, so then if that wasn't enough, I'm, I was going to see how long it was going to go. And um, all of a sudden, I see it, you know, the word brightness comes on the screen, and all those little dashes where it is. So it goes, brightness, <laughs> nothing. My screen went blank. She turned off my screen. <laughs> turned off my TV. Totally unaware. So then I'm laughing a little bit even harder. And um, I didn't say anything to her. I was just going to wait until her elbow moved. And I was like, okay, I'm going to put my little brightness back on, turn my TV back on. But she was unaware. And sometimes I think that's how we are as Christians. We're unaware of maybe things that we say, of our actions, of sometimes even our face when somebody says something to us. We're like, oh, I mean, you know. <laughs> but we need to not be unaware. We need to be aware of our surroundings as the body of Christ. Um, so John 3.17 says... He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world because the church has done plenty of that, have we not? As, and, and today I'm preaching to the choir, I know, because our church is awesome at this kind of stuff. But I do, there's always, we're good at something, we can always get better. So, um, but our church is not condemning at all. We, that's one of the things that um, people say about our church is that we're so friendly. So, again, I know that this is the choir. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. But... Um, so we are supposed to, as the body of Christ, shine our lights for everyone to see, for the world to see. Um, so what are the, the, you know, we need to be able to shine our light so that they can see the personality of Jesus Christ because we represent him. So I'm going to show you some emojis today that we might maybe communicate as a church. Like if the church was sending out text, what emojis would they use? So let's look at some of the emojis. We might be very happy and like wink face and, oh, we love you with the hearts in our eyes. We're so happy that you're here. We're angels here. <laughs> of course, we're going to pray for you and we'll just kissy kissy. Mm, we are loving the people here. Okay. So those are some of the emojis, the faces of Jesus that we might see. But the big idea today is that the church is the face of Jesus. 
You can write that in your notes. The church is the face of Jesus. And a lot of times we hear plenty of messages about being the hands and feet of Jesus, and that's important, going and doing and um, doing something for people. But today we're going to talk about the face, and that is the personality or the being of Jesus. And to be the face, we need to be, have his personality or to reflect his um, reflect his personality, his look, appearance, his countenance, his values, his love. And then we will have that same success that Jesus did in drawing a crowd to him. We want to draw the crowd. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 17 and 18, it says, now, this, now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. There's not bondage and baggage. And all of us have had that veil removed so that we can be mirrors that brightly reflect glory of the Lord. The glory is the weight of who God is. It's his personality. And as the spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like him and reflect his glory even more. So it says, as it, as it works, as he works within us, we become more and more like him. It doesn't mean the longer you're a Christian, the more you are separated from the sinners and, you know, y'all are just sinners and I'm, I've been more and more around him. No, it says the more we're around him, the more we're, we're supposed to reflect him. Um, as long as it's at work within us. So we're called to take on his likeness and keep changing until we become more and more like him. So how do we become more like him? Or how should the church look more like him? Well, today we're going to talk about five personalities. But before we do that, or five, not five personalities, but five personalities of Jesus, um, I want to connect with you how Jesus is the church and the church is Jesus. So in Acts 8 verses 1 through 3, this is talking about Saul before he had his Damascus experience and um, where he's persecuting Christians. And it says, And Saul was there giving approval to his death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and, Amer and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. He was the biblical times Isis. I mean, that's what's happening now. And Saul was that kind of person. Go on to Acts 9, verses 1 through 5. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. This is the part where I'm going to just read fast. So. Um, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey... Suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. Okay, Jesus was tired of his persecution, so he decided to shine this big bright light. That, he was not being a lighthouse. He was going to shake him, and he did. He fell, Saul fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, he had not persecuted Jesus in the flesh because he was not on the earth at that point. He said, who are you, Lord, Saul asked. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. So he had been persecuting Christians and bringing them out and trying to put them in prison and kill them. And, you know, Jesus said, no, enough. That's me. You're persecuting me. So Jesus is so cl closely associated with the church that he takes it very personal. So if Jesus is the church and, and the church is Jesus, then we are supposed to be reflecting and, and showing his personality and representing him as ambassadors for him. So we need to take action. So we're going to look at five personalities of Jesus, and I'm going to help you with emojis because it's emojis of the church. So number one, he, the one first personality trait of Jesus was that he was incredibly authentic and real. Philippians 2.6 
says, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he lowered himself and became like one of us. So Jesus was not, he didn't have all this pomp and circumstance. He wasn't, you know, King James didn't speak in, I mean, he might have spoken in King James because that's what they spoke in, but he wasn't speaking King James today. You know, he, there was no majest, majestic robe or, you know, stately crown or he didn't wear a kimono, but that was the closest thing to a robe. Um, he didn't have special bodyguards. You know, he was just real. Some, some examples, two verses that um, show what authentic, authenticity looks like is Matthew 23, verses 2 and 3. It says, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They're not authentic. They're fake. That's what the Pharisees were doing. They were trying to um, make themselves look so much greater when... You know, look at the next verse, Philippians 2, 3. It says, do, not, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. We're supposed to consider others better than ourselves. And sometimes that's so difficult for people to do. I know um, just living as a pastor's wife and pastor's family, and we have a lot of pastor, pastoral friends with, you know, big mega churches, churches down in the south and um, you know, their, their congregation puts them up on this big pedestal. And I am so thankful I have bragged on our church um, because, I, I'm, I mean, y'all honor your pastors, but you don't have, every, you don't have them up on a, this big pedestal because we should never, no one should ever be on a pedestal except for Jesus. I, I'm normal just like you. I'm a sinner just like you. Um, my kids, that's why we tell stories of the stupid things that our kids have done or the stupid things that we've done. Because we're like, I don't want anybody thinking that my kids will be perfect because they're not. And neither are yours. My kids are just normal. Like, you know, we're, we're no better than you. We might have more responsibility, but we're no better. So that's the kind of stuff that, um, that's another thing that was a trait that people love about our church is that we're just real. Like, we are willing to say, you know, we're real and we make mistakes and we do stupid things too. So we need to, as a church, continue to be that authentic, authentic. We need to be, we need, okay, we need to be real. That's what we need to be. All right. Number two, Jesus was incredibly relevant. <clears throat> so when we read the Bible now, we don't look at it necessarily as totally relevant to us because he talked about like seeds and sprouts and you can see the little emojis up here um, and leaves and trees and sheep, ram, goats, whatever. But if he was living today, he would be talking about movies and sports and money and family and sex because that's what's relevant to today. So we need to take that into consideration and be relevant. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, Luke 15, 1 through 3 says, or 1 and 2 says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. If sinners, which is me and you, FYI, if sinners wanted to be, the sing wanted to be with the single most holy and the perfect man that, to walk the earth, then he had to be relevant with them. He had, there was something about him that they wanted to be around. Um, so we need to take that into consideration as well. 1 Corinthians 9.22 says, Whatever a person is like, I try to find common ground with him so that he will let me tell him about Christ and let Christ save him. So if it passes, Derek has this phrase um, about what he's going to speak on, and it needs to pass the who cares test or the test of, you know, how is this going to help me on Monday through Saturday? 
So that's why he speaks on real felt needs, things that are relevant to us today. And how many of you were here for the Under the Influence series or any of it? Okay, that was a relevant series. But he was a little nervous to speak about it at first because we have, an, as a church, we have an evangelistic call on our church. We want to draw people in that don't know Christ and that we call them the pre-believers. We want to draw those people in. So it's a little, you know, we, again, we don't want to be the, the blinding truth where people are like this, like, you know, the first time they come in and we're talking about demons. However, it's, that's what the Hollywood is showing. That's what the devil wants. Hollywood, the devil wants to be the first one to introduce people to demons and how big, bad, scary demons in his little minions. You know, and I don't mean the little yellow cute minions, the beetle, beetle those, not, not those. But I tell you, I will tell you this, those, the devil's minions have about as much power as those cute little yellow minions. They have none because in the power of Jesus Christ, they, they tremble at the name of Jesus. They have no power in the name of Jesus. So we don't have to be afraid of his big, bad, scary demons, but that's what the devil wants to tell the world. He wants to get them scared of demons and minions, not the little ones because they're cute, but he, he is trying to, um, you know, influence the world himself. But we as a body of believers need to take that and say, no, we're going to influence them first. So it's just, it's like with um, when our kids went into public school, we wanted to be the first ones to influence them on sex because they were going to hear about it at school for sure. And they were going to hear a warped view and the world's view. And so when, when you are sending your kids to, into an environment where you don't want them to learn something that you don't want them to learn, um, then you have to be proactive and tell them first. And that's, it's a really important, um, important message there is to, we have to talk about things that are relevant. Um, so if Jesus was relevant, we need to be relevant. So the next slides I'm going to show you are some texts, some funny texts from parents who tried to be relevant and some of them epically failed, but some of them were very funny. So <clears throat> I'll move out this way. Um, so here's the, this, you can see the little emoji at the top. It says, the, the child says, oh, geez, little chocolate kiss with eyes watching over you. LOL, it's a poop with eyes, mom. <laughs> oh, I thought it was a chocolate kiss. LOL. Ha ha, definitely a poop, mama bear. I'm so sorry. You know, so that's a little poop. That little emoji. Son, you're in big trouble. Why? Because you're texting me in your school while you're in school. Are you serious? You texted me first. <laughs> I have done that. I actually texted Mallory one time, and she got her phone taken away. She was like, I was, my mom texted me and showed her the text. I was like, my bad. Um, mom, where are you? Leaving Walmart halfway home. Why, sweetie? You brought me to Walmart with you. <laughs> oh, da oh, darn. Be there in a bit. <laughs> I think there's something wrong with my phone. I don't think my texts are going through. Yeah, they're getting through. Well, how can you be sure? <laughs> okay, here's, here's some little phrases that the parents are trying to be relevant. What does IDK, LY, and TTYL mean? I don't know. Love you. Talk to you later. Okay, I'll ask your sister. <laughs> That's what they mean. I don't know. Love you. Talk to you. Okay. Um, okay, here's another epic fail. Your great aunt just passed away, LOL. Why is that funny? It's not funny, David. What do you mean? Mom, LOL means laughing out loud. Oh my goodness, I sent that to everyone. I thought it meant lots of love. <laughs> I have to call everyone back. So here's mom. This is something I would pull. Don't forget to unload the dishwasher. Did you finish your homework? We have to go to your grandmother's house for Thanksgiving. Dad and I talked. We are going to buy you a car next month. You are? Oh my gosh, thank you. 
No, we're not. I just wanted to make sure you were getting my texts. That was cruel. Here's mom. I'm learning how to hashtag. That's great, mom. Hashtag conversation with son. She didn't even use the hashtag. She wrote it out. Please don't text me for the next hour. I'm going to be on the treadmill. I wasn't planning on texting you. What did I just say? Don't text me. <laughs> so those are people who were trying to be relevant, but that was also enjoyable. Did we not have fun laughing at that a little bit? Okay, well, that's my next point, is that Jesus was incredibly enjoyable. We want to have fun in church. Church should be the funnest place on the planet, better than Disney World. I know that's a stretch, but hey, it should be the case. But imagine if more churches were so fun. Wouldn't more people want to come? Yes, of course they would. People loved to be around Jesus. Um, children especially, Mark 10, 16 says, he, and he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. Children love people who are enjoyable. They, you know, one of the, my biggest rewards as a principal is when I'm standing downstairs in Guest Central and, um, you know, families come in and they're, the, I see one of my students and they're holding their parents' hand, you know, and they see me and they let go of their mom's hand. They run over to me with their arms wide open and grab me around the legs. To me, that is like such a great reward because kids can pick up on a fake, they can tell if you really like them. They can tell if you're really enjoyable. And they don't really like being around people that are not enjoyable. Children loved to be around Jesus. So he had to be enjoyable. Um, do we have emojis for the enjoyables? Yes. Jesus was like the life of the party. That's the laughing out loud, laughing, crying kind of emoji. He was, he was like awesome. People loved to celebrate him. He was life of the party. Um, children's love, children love to be around him. Sinners, skeptics. I mean, like all kinds of prostitutes, tax collectors, they all love to be around him. The people that didn't like to be around him were the fake people, the religious people, the Pharisees, the inauthentic people. They didn't want to be around him, but everybody else followed him. He couldn't get rid of them. He had to like leave the crowds and he'd go to another crowd, you know, and then he'd try to leave that crowd to go be with Jesus and another crowd would follow him. So people were always following him. Do people follow you? Do they see what's, you know, are you enjoyable? Do you see... Do you think you represent him well? Um, and I think Christians and the church should be the most enjoyable people on the earth. We have the joy of the Lord. But Nehemiah 8.10, I'm skipping ahead to the last verse there, but Nehemiah 8.10 says, For the joy of the Lord is your strength. We have a joy inside of us that we need to be able to share with other people. Um, this is one of my favorite life verses, Ecclesiastes 8.15 and it says, so I recommend having fun because there's nothing better in this world than to eat, drink, and enjoy life. Eat, drink, and be merry. Hello. That's awesome. I love to eat. Um, that way they will, they will experience some happiness along with all the hard work that God gives them under the sun. So it, this, this was a wise man. Solomon wrote this, this Ecclesiastes. It says, so I recommend having fun. Be enjoyable. Lighten up. Laughter is good for your soul. It's good for your, you know, it's, it's like medicine to your soul. So Jesus was the kind of person that if you were going on a trip and you had to just, you wanted to take somebody really fun, Jesus would be the kind of person you'd want to take. And I, I think sometimes we think that um, Jesus maybe talked at people, but if people wanted to be around him so much, he had to actually listen. So Jesus was real. He was relevant. He was enjoyable. And number four he was incredibly accepting. So, um, in this point, I want to I want to tell you that if there's any religious people in here, I might slightly step on your toes a little bit. 
and I'm not apologizing for it. Because if you're a religious person, then, um, well, <laughs> we love you. And we accept you too. <laughs> but Jesus, and it, Jesus is, um, was pure holiness. He loved everyone. So we have some emojis. He loved everyone. He would wink and kiss and everybody just love him. You know, and he loved everyone. And he loved everyone of all colors, of all nationalities. These are the new emojis they came out with, all different colors of brown and yellow and black. And if there was purple polka dotted or speckled, he loved them too. He loved all people. And his holiness did not drive people away, but it drew people to him. And again, we're supposed to be like that. So um, he, he didn't condemn sinners. I mean, he didn't even condemn sinners who got caught with their hand in the cookie jar. You know, I mean, he loved them and he accepted them for who they were. He then did, after he accepted them first, then he said, go and sin no more. He didn't say, you're a sinner, come to church. No, that's not going to get people to church. Um, he had, you know, we, he had such a personality that was so loving and accepting of others that when he was around them, they just, they flocked to him. They wanted to be around him. And, and he didn't, like I said, he didn't condemn people, but I think the church has gotten so um, blurred lines where we think that we're supposed to be the condemners of the world. We are not called to be the Holy Spirit. We're not called to be the judge and jury for people. We are called to accept. We're called to love. Um, John 16, 8 says, The Holy Spirit's job is to convict the world of its sin, of God's righteousness, and of the coming judgment. It does not say, Stacy Fry or Connect Community Church is the Holy Spirit Jr. We are to love and accept. Um, and our job is to be the face of Jesus, not the Holy Spirit. Mark 2, verse 15 and 17, through 17 says, While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And that day, tax collectors were like, you know, the scum of the earth. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus loved everyone. Sinners. He would love you. He would love me. He would love anybody else that had the big bad sins. So let me just say this. Man is the only one that puts degrees on sin. God, does, God sees one sin as a thousand sins that weighs the same to him. God sees, um, you know, a little white lie. It's a lie. That's a sin as opposed to a murderer. I mean, the Bible says, and I can't remember where it is, but it says, if you even hate your brother, you're as you're like a murderer. So hating someone, murdering someone, it's all the same sin. And we think, you know, in, in this day when, when there's so much talk about, you know, homosexuals and transgenders or whatever, you know, I, I just watching um, um, uh, on the news, there was some kind of gay rally or whatever. And of course they get a clip of this man who was saying, we don't have the same father. And somebody was saying, yes, we do. We were all created the same. And he was like, no, we don't have the same father. And I thought, are you winning that person? 
Are you winning that person? He was trying to be the Holy Spirit. Convict them of their sin. Tell them they're sinners. Let me just say, I would like to beat them over the head with the Bible to that man and say, you're just as much of a sinner. Do you not get that? Your judgmentalism is just as much of a sin as somebody who's walking in sin. And it doesn't mean that we're going to accept people and just let them live their life. No, after we're supposed to bring them in here and then let the Holy Spirit do his job to convict them of their sin. So if we have homosexuals and transgenders and liars and gossipers and judgmental people and religious people, thank God. That means that we're doing something right as a church. We want those people in here. It just means that they are broken, that they are disconnected, that, they are, that they've had a rough life. How are they ever going to know Jesus if we don't shine our light, let them see our good deeds so that then we can point them to Jesus? They'll never get in here if we don't. And I tell you, Jesus did this so awesome. We need to be more like him in every way. We need to embrace per imperfection. We always say that we are the perfect, perfect church for imperfect people. So if, you, if you're perfect here, you might need to leave. Because you're going to ruin our imperfect church here. <laughs> we have a great thing going here in this imperfect church. Because that's the way it should look. Nobody is perfect in this world. Everybody is full of sin. Even this much sin, you're full of sin. You're not righteous. Newsflash. Neither am I. You know, it's like none of us are. But we, so why would we, just because man puts degrees on sin, why would we look at somebody else and say, oh, I can't accept them? If Bruce Jenner walked into this church, we would accept him. We would help him. We would try to minister to him. We would try to help him get healed of the broken places in his life. But we would accept him. There are so many people that are broken out there. And if Jesus would accept them, then so should the church. Amen. And, and it's something that people, you know, like that's why we have the hassle-free guarantee here at church. Um, is that people want to know that they belong somewhere before they'll ever believe. So we accept all kinds of people. We accept, uh, you know, all kinds of colors. I love the, the total colors in our church. It's awesome. I grew up in Alabama. It was like black or white. How boring is that? I mean, I like black and light brown and dark brown and cream colored. And, you know, there's all kinds. Of, it's awesome. So I love our church. I think we have the best church on the planet. I really do. I mean, again, we have a lot of pastor friends. They have huge churches, whatever, and we go down there, and it's awesome. And I literally, Derek and I always look at each other and go, oh, I want to get back to our church. I love our church. We are so grateful for this church. So um, Romans 15, 7 says, accept one another, then just as Christ, as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. It says accept them to bring praise to God. We are praising God when we accept a broken person, when we accept them and love them for who they are. We don't have to love their sin because God doesn't love ours. He doesn't love my sin. One time my father-in-law, when, when we were younger and they were just kind of getting to know me, he goes, you are the skinniest glutton I've ever met. I was like, you just called me a skinny sinner. And I had to work on that. That's my little sin. My, my one and only sin. Just kidding. Yeah, I know. Yeah, right. She knows me well. So, um, But we are accepting of all kinds of sinners. It doesn't matter what yours is. It doesn't matter what mine is. We're all sinners. And we all need to be working on it, of course. And that's what we're here for in church is to work on getting better and reflecting more and more like Jesus. So um, I want to tell you a story. Do you all, who was here when Josh Monty spoke last summer, I believe it was? 
You might not remember, but you might remember a story. Okay, a couple of people. Um, but he just, he just shared his testimony last week at ARC, and um, he was telling that he was a 19-year-old kid. Um, he had been abused. He, had been, um, he was just broken. He was miserable. He was ready to just check out. Um, he visited a couple churches, and um, you know, he came and sat down, and some, some man came right up to him, and he thought, oh, I'll introduce myself, and he stuck out his hand, and the man said, you're in my seat. Get up. Okay, so that was his first experience. That's not really reflecting Jesus. Um, so then he went to another church as well and, and got the same kind of condemnation and judgment. And he, he didn't look totally, you know, he was not necessarily what you would look at trying to think that he was um, wanting to, he, he wanted to be accepted, okay? So he kind of stood out in the crowd. Um, and so he said, one last ditch effort. Somebody had told him about this church that was meeting in a high school. And so he went to the church and um, he saw this lady coming to him and he thought, I'm just going to give it one last shot. He was totally expecting judgment and condemnation. And so he held out his hand to this lady and she pushed his hand out of the way and she grabbed him and hugged him and accepted him. And that day changed his life from then on out. He was ready to kill himself that afternoon. He was ready to just check out of life because he was miserable. And the lady accepted him and showed him other people and accepted, they accepted him and, you know, and it changed his life. And he's now a pastor of a growing church and he's doing awesome because someone accepted him. That's how our church is. We accept people. I had a friend recently who was telling, um, telling me about um, a friend that she invited on Easter and she said, she goes, Stacy. She's going to stand out in the crowd. She's had a hard life, and it shows. And I said, that's great. And she goes, no, but she's really going to stand out in the crowd. I was like, hallelujah, bring her on. This is awesome. Our church is so good at this. Our church accepts people and loves and hugs the people. I and mean, we are a huggy church. We have people in our small group. I won't mention any names, Bob. But we have people in our small group that were like, the first time I came in, I was like, why are all these people hugging me? Oh, my gosh. And now in the small group, we're like, he's like, hey, how are you? How are you? You know, he's hugging and loving on people too because people want to feel loved. Right. We're just lovey and huggy. So, um, so Jesus was real. He was relevant. He was enjoyable. He was accepting. And the last one is that he was totally amazing. Totally amazing. We have, um, he, he wasn't just this you know, pep talk, guy, pep talk guy. He wasn't just cool, calm, and collected. We think, you know, he's probably just always like this, and these thous, and these my father sent me. And I, I mean, yeah, he was. He did say that, but he had to be really enjoyable. He was amazing. He did miracles. We have some emojis that sort of like, he was amazing. <laughs> like, whoa, oh my gosh, you know, explosions going off around him. But the, the things that were going on around him were miracles. He performed miracles that were so awesome, and some of them were very a little bit unorthodox. Um, some of them were extraordinary, but people still thought he was amazing. They still wanted to be around him. Like here, an example of, in John 9, verses 1 through 41 is the full story, but this is the guy who was blind and in a crowd. Jesus walks over, and he's wanting to heal the guy, and he spits in the dirt, makes some mud pies, and wipes them on the guy's eyes. Uh, yeah. Thank you. So true. Can you come to second service for me? Right cue, same part, okay? Ew, it's right. I mean, it was gross. But then that guy went off. The, Jesus said, go and wash it off. So he goes and wash it off, and he was healed. And then, of course, because it was a Sabbath day, 
the Pharisees, the religious people, were all mad because they started talking to this blind guy, or formerly blind guy, and they were like, well, Jesus is, he claims he's the son of God, and he does this, and he's, and they're trying to accuse him and trying to get this blind guy to like say, oh yeah, well, I, I don't, I don't want to see anymore, yeah, because he's a bad guy. No, the blind guy, what does the blind guy say? He goes, listen, all I know is that I was blind, and now I can see. He is saying, I don't really care that he spit in dirt and made mud pies and stuck them on my eyes. I can see. That's all I want. So let me tell you a story about a couple here in the church, Rick and Terry Lopez. They're right here, and they're awesome. I did tell them I was going to tell them, tell about their little story. Not everything. But when they came to this church, they were a broken couple. Their marriage was failing. They had a past. They had history. They had some issues that they had to work out. They, were, um, they wanted to be accepted. They wanted to be loved. They needed some love. Okay? So they came, and they started. They allowed God to work in their lives. They allowed God to work in their marriage. They were students of marriage. They got marriage counseling. They did marriage small groups. And they're in our marriage small groups this semester, and we're like, y'all could lead this group. You're awesome. I mean, they're changed people. But they didn't go around beating people over the head with, hey, you need to get in church because you're a sinner. No, they just let God's amazingness, if, that's, if you can allow me that word, his amazingness shine through their lives and their testimony. So they would just talk to people. They would just tell people, you know, yeah, we've been going to church and it's really helping our marriage. Or I don't know what they would say, but just, you know, I mean, Terry is just so sweet. You could just talk to her for days. And Rick is awesome. He just, he's very cool, calm, collected. We have Rickisms in our, in our small group because he says all these funny things. But what happened was that their friends started seeing the amazing testimony in their lives. They started changing from the inside out. And people started going, oh my gosh, all I know is that I want what they have. And sure enough, Glenn and Linda came to church with them. Kevin and Angelica, which you saw their marriage testimony, came to church because of Rick and Terry's amazing testimony. They didn't have to beat somebody over the head. They just showed what God was doing in their lives. And from those two couples that came to church with them, they invited other people, and then they came, and then those people invited other people, and then another couple came. And then just from Rick and Terry's testimony, there's like 10 couples here just because God's amazing work in their lives. So thank you for shining that light, for being that lighthouse, um, because that's what God does. He uses people. And you may be thinking, gosh, I think he can use me that way. I'm, I'm, I was the captain of the football team. I'm the head cheerleader, and I'm a successful businessman, and I'm a successful businesswoman. You know, yes, God can still use you, but let me just tell you, he specializes in using ordinary people. Um, that is why I am standing here today. <laughs> let me just tell you some verses here. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip the verses. You can, look, you can see those verses that have the miracles of signs and wonders following Jesus. Um, but um, I wanted to tell you, Acts 4.13, if we can, I don't know if it's in there. Oh, it should be in there. Um, so this is when Peter and John were going around. They were doing miracles. <clears throat> Excuse me. And they were um, preaching to crowds. And like this, that day, 5,000 people got saved in this one day. And so the Pharisees were, again, they, were, they, were, they didn't know what to do with them. They wanted to stop them. They wanted to, you know, 
Nixon. And um, they made an interesting comment in Acts 4.13. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. So the Greek word for ordinary is idiotate. Do you hear a root word? Yes. <laughs> Idiot. Okay. Um, which means ignoramus, unlearned, ordinary person, unschooled, or an idiot, okay? So they were unschooled, ordinary, idiots, men. And it says the Pharisees were astonished and amazed. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. One moment in the presence of Jesus, and you can be changed for a lifetime. One moment in his presence can change you forever. 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven is... a my life verse as well. And it says, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. I like the version that says, God chose the simple things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. I used to always say to Derek, I'm just so simple. I, I don't have all these big major thoughts. I'm just simple. And then I found this verse and I was like, aha, he's going to use me to change the world, you know? Um, <clears throat> but God specializes in using Ordinary people, simple people. I'm not calling anybody foolish in here. I like to say the simple. But God can use you. He can use each one of us. And each one of us has a sphere of influence that we can be able to um, shine our light so that we can accept people and love them and be real and relevant to them and enjoyable so that they can come to know Jesus. They will never come to know Jesus if we are not these things. And that is what we are called to do. So I want you to, you can put your notes away and you can stand up. And, um, you know, you may be thinking, I want God to use me. I want to be amazing. I want to have a better emoji that I'm showing out to everyone, to my friends and my coworkers, my family. I want to be a better face of Jesus. And the best way you can do that, first of all, the only way that you can do that is be a part of Jesus' family. And I want to give you an opportunity right now in just a minute to be able to come into the family of Jesus Christ. Because that's the most important thing. That will start changing your life forever. One moment in his presence can change you forever. It can change your lifetime. It can, it can get you on a new direction of where you're going. So with every head bowed and um, eyes, all your eyes closed, please, I want to give you an opportunity to say, I want to be in the family of Jesus Christ. I want to, I want to have Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior my, of my life so that I can be amazing and show other people how awesome God is in my life. If that is you, I want you to just raise your hand and, and look up at me and tell me that you want to be part of the family of Jesus Christ. I see you. Thank you. That's awesome. I see you, several ladies there. I see you in the back. That's awesome. Thank you, Lord. I see you. That's so great. I see you right there. Thank you. That is it's the most important decision you will ever make. This will change your life forever. One moment in his presence will change you forever. Your life is now set on a different course when you pray this prayer. And if Church, if you will just pray this with me and with our new um, brothers and sisters in Christ. Dear Lord, I thank you that you died on the cross for me. I thank you that you loved me and accepted me in the middle of my sin. I confess you, Lord, as my Savior, my King, my brother. I ask you, Father, to anoint my life, to let amazing things happen in me so I can reflect your glory in Jesus' name. I want to pray for a second group of people. Um, 
I want to pray for our church as a whole that if you want to be a better face and emoji, so to speak, of Jesus Christ, um, and, and you want to do a better job of maybe even reaching out to more people or, or having a holy boldness, I want to pray for a double portion anointing on our church because we already have an anointing, uh, seriously, on our church of being this, these kinds of people, of representing Jesus Christ well. But I want a double portion. That is, our, we're living in the end days. We don't have a lot of time to get more people in the G- kingdom of Christ. So if you want to do a better job or have more boldness, of just being a better face to the church of Jesus Christ, I want you to raise your hand. And I'm gonna pray for all of us. It's all over the room. That's so awesome. Lord, I just thank you. Lord, you see the hearts and the hands that are raised to you. Father, we wanna, we just ask for a double portion anointing. We want one moment in this church, as soon as people walk in the doors of our church, that their lives will be changed forever, that they would feel your love as soon as they walk in the door. They would feel your acceptance. Father, we ask for an anointing in Jesus' name, that we would be an evangelistic church, that we would bring people in to know you, that our lives would reflect your glory and your personality and your face and your love. Father, I ask that your presence would be on each one of these people. You would give them a holy boldness to be able to go to their friends and their family and their work and not beat them over the head with it, but show how amazing you are. What emoji, emoji, emoji you are. Lord Jesus, I thank you, Father, for your anointing in in our church. And I ask that you would just continue to multiply it in Jesus' name. I thank you, Father, for our church. We have the best church on the planet, and I'm so thankful that you gave us each person in here. And I ask that you would bless them as they're going out today in Jesus name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Let's give God glory. That's awesome.